For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much. Welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. First off, Randy, how are you doing this morning? Doing very well, Jeff. Thank you for asking. Glad to hear it, Randy, as always. And Jake, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good, but I think I turned the thermostat down too low. <laughs> it got pretty cold over here you uh, did, last man. week, which, again, I can't complain about, but I know that some people are like, hey, let's not go from 90 degrees to 20 in a week. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely fall is upon us here, uh, Jake. I've got a couple of pumpkins on either side of the driveway, and they're covered in frost this morning. But nevertheless, change is good. Fall is with us. I think the foliage will probably be in peak season here in just about a couple of weeks. And in a blink of an eye, it's going to be holiday time. Thanks. Thanksgiving, and then, of course, it's going to be Christmas. And then 2023, we get ready for a whole new year. But right now, we're in the fall of 2022, so let's get started as we do most shows at this time with rising inflation, the economy doing what it's doing, the market doing what it's doing. What has changed since last week, if anything? Nothing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we'll skip Actually, right to the been... next segment of the show, which is what you're saying. <laughs> there's been quite a few changes, but I guess what I would say is from the macroeconomic view, things have not changed that much. I mean, we've been looking for changes. You know, the Fed has been raising interest rates, trying to push the economy over the edge and into recession, of which I think we're probably already in. We just don't realize it yet. But, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I think they're going to keep pushing here. So a couple of interesting points that we've been talking about here is, you know, just how crazy things continue to be globally. So I don't know if you've been watching or not, Jeff, the interesting part with England and what's been going yeah. on with, of course, they ousted Boris. They brought in this new gal who was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and she's been in for 33 days, and <laughs> I think they're going to tar and feather her and wow. then draw and quarter her outside. <laughs> <laughs> outside of London. A little severe, there. don't you think? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe the stocks are in order. I don't know. But anyway, and then over the weekend, <laughs> last weekend, she hired her new chief economic advisor, Chancellor. I guess, and he went in and undid everything she started to do. So wow. I don't know how things are looking over there. But again, it's just more volatility and more trouble, which you know just makes everything that much harder to predict. The problem with all that too, Randy, is that if the Bank of England really has a problem, which personally I think they're going to, it really has a lot of implications for the rest of Europe, namely Italy and Greece and all these countries that are basically being held up by the European Central Bank, the ECB. You know, if they have to go and, and bear some of the load of England, you know, they're going to be less able to help some of these other nations who have basically been bankrupt for 20 years. And that all could get really dicey over the next two or three months. 
Well, they've got a new king there, gentlemen, King uh, Charles. I mean, Charles, can, can't yes. he do anything about this? Or is <laughs> That's basically just a symbolic thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, I don't really see them really having any pull in government <laughs> at all. In fact, yeah. if you were to think about it, you know, while his mom was in power for yeah. the last 70 years, 60, I mean, yeah. really, right. we would see him once in a while, but we didn't Not really see much. him doing much of anything, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think he's just a figurehead at this point. I don't think he would have any real clout or credibility no, no. anyway. If well, he while he's younger, while he's younger than Elizabeth, he's not exactly a spring chicken. Oh either. my gosh, no. <laughs> he looks like he's on the doorstep there too. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. King Charles of uh, England, as I said last week, his mom dies and he becomes uh, a king. The son is king. That's nepotism to the nth degree there. We're talking with Randy yeah. and Jake here of Floyd Financial Group and we're talking about the state of the economy. Let's get back to England here a little bit. How does that affect us in the United States? Does it really have much of an effect on us at all. It definitely can, Jeff, namely in the currency markets. So if the Bank of England, if their bonds start to become worthless or at least get really volatile, which is the problem that they've been having over there, what happens is is, is that affects the currency markets. And a lot of people, this part is a little bit counterintuitive, so I'm going to go a little bit slow here. But if the Bank of England has these issues and it affects the dollar, if the dollar gets stronger, then that tends to be bad for stocks. That part is counterintuitive. Most people think that if the dollar is doing well, that's a thing that would make stocks go up. But it's actually the opposite. The weaker the dollar, the higher stocks go. The stronger the dollar, and when we have crashes and those types of things, the dollar tends to get stronger and stronger and stronger. So we kind of have a problem of the dollar being too strong. And again, there's a misconception out there that the dollar is almost worthless. Relatively speaking to other currencies, it's actually almost as strong as it's ever been. Mm. And we've talked about this a little bit, that the euro and the British pound almost reach parity, meaning they're almost dollar for dollar for our currency. Well, 12 years ago, the euro was worth $1.60 per euro, and the pound was as high as like two forty per dollar at one point. So the dollar is just getting stronger and stronger, which presents problems for the stock market. So that's one of the things that's been kind of causing havoc this year is the dollar getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think that when that turns, that'll be really good for stocks. But I think it's going to take getting through this recession before that's going to happen. And I don't think that there is any argument anymore that the United States is in a recession at this time. Coming back across the pond and talking about what's happening right here in the good old USA, let's talk about the market a little bit. What are we seeing this past week as far as the market goes? And are there any predictors as to where it's going to go here by the end of the year? Yeah, you know, we were just looking at that again this morning as we do about 50 times a day. Yeah. We were yeah. looking at that and we were thinking, you know, with this past week and the little rally that we've had, a lot of people think, well, hey, the, the market's bottomed. This is it. We're, we're running back up. Here's what I will say. Looking back over our shoulder to January, there's an absolute pattern where we've had five downturns, five little market rallies, which I'm calling a head fake in every mm-hmm. case because really the underlying challenge challenges that we have have not been solved and nothing has changed. 
So I think this is another one of those head fakes that basically says, yep, we're going to go up here for a little bit, but uh, ultimately we have not seen the bottom quite yet. We have a little bit to go. Now, we know that Jerome Powell has said he's going to continue to stick to his guns and raise interest rates in November and December is the plan, another three quarters uh, of a percent each. Let's remember, looking back over our shoulder here, that as of March of this year, 2022, interest rates for the Fed funds rate was zero. Mm -hmm. And now it's three to three and a quarter. If he goes ahead and does those additional raises, we're going to be up around 4.75%. And we haven't been there in a very long time. And so we have to kind of see what that's going to continue continue to do. But again, what I'm really saying is, is as long as he's applying pressure, tightening and reducing the money supply and making it harder to borrow money and more expensive to borrow money, it's going to continue to put pressure downward on the market. Now, when he turns around and he goes the other way or even signals that, hey, we're going to slow down on raising interest rates, that's going to be good for the market. You know, if we look back over our shoulder, a couple of things I was reviewing too was 18 months ago, interest rates to buy a house, if you had good credit on a 30-year mortgage, mortgage was 2%. Right. Today it's 7. Wow. So we're looking at, you know, 3 plus times the amount of interest on the average house and the average house now across the country is around $400,000. So when you start looking at interest rates, if you're at 2% on 400, that's 8,000 a year. If you're at 8% on 400, that's $32,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Ouch. That is tough <laughs> and that's going to ultimately it's going to slow down the economy and slow things down to where we can actually right the ship and get back to the other side of this. Putting things in perspective though, Randy, I think when you bought your first house, what was your interest rate then? Hey, I got 10 and a quarter and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven because everybody else was getting a much higher rate than that. (laughs) Right. So basically this is just a return to normal. What do you think? I wouldn't say it's a return to normal. In fact, you know, here's what I would say. Since central banks have become so prominent in what they do in controlling and trying to help us not have recessions and depressions, nobody knows what normal is anymore. Mm-hmm. What is normal? What would that be? And nobody can really tell you what that is. Yeah, and also, Randy, I think that what is the most important thing since the advent of central bank monetary policy. The only thing that matters is what the Fed is doing. It's totally changed the function of the markets and how how they work. I think that if you look at from the bottom in 2009, when the Fed started lowering interest rates to zero and printing money like there was no tomorrow, the market went up 600% through the end of last year. You know, that's not as a result of American ingenuity and great business planning and things like that. In fact, we're seeing this year how bad they are at business, a lot of these companies, because before it, you just didn't see it because there was so much money flowing everywhere. But now everybody's having to, they're like, wow, we hired like two times as many people as we needed to, and we were carrying all this dead weight, so let's start unloading it. And I think as earnings season progresses here over the next couple of weeks, I think we're going to see more and more of that where people are going to start getting laid off. And that's where the where the pain will probably start to come in. It may it may not happen until after the first of the year, but a market bottom has never been found before a recession in the history of this country. A lot of people are saying that the market may bottom before the recession even happens, which is nonsense. That doesn't happen. Now, the market will bottom before the recession is over, most likely, mm-hmm. but it will not it will not bottom before it even begins. So there's more pain to come, it sounds like. We're talking with Randy and Jake here of Floyd Financial Group, and I think really the takeaway from this particular conversation, the update on the market, the update on the economy, is that if you have a plan that does account for this sort of market volatility, you're just minorly annoyed, and it's not a life-changing event. 
How do you get that plan? Will you call 417-889-7233 and make your appointment to sit down with Randy Jake there at Floyd Financial Group. It is totally complimentary, no cost, no obligation. Most importantly, there is no judgment. So why not do it today? 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. We're going to take a quick break. Randy and Jake will be right back with more of our show right here on my favorite radio station, 104. 4.1 FM KSGF where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heap and helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about Social Security, Medicare, and a little bit about open enrollment. That's right, Randy, and you can't help but know that it is open enrollment period. If you watch TV at all, many times listen to the radio, even on the Internet, everybody's bombarding you with ads for Medicare Advantage plans. And we'll get to that and talk about that a little bit. But let's talk about Social Security here in the beginning. I understand there has been a pretty big increase in the cost of living adjustment recently, probably the biggest increase in more than 40 years. Yeah, I would say you're exactly right. It's going to be 8.7% that we're going to get for 2023. And that means about 70 million Americans are going Mm. to get an 8% increase in their Social Security. What does that really mean for most people? I think the average Social Security payment is around $1,600 a month. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking here, Jake? It's 80, about $140 or so a month. That's going to be a, that's a big number. Right. And for the first time ever, you ready for this? Drum roll, please. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get a reduction oh. in what it costs for Medicare Part B to $164.90 from the one seventy ten that it currently is. Can you believe that, Jeff? I cannot believe that, but it is welcome to get that reduction. Nobody's going to complain about that. So it appears to me that if so many people are getting an 8.7% raise in their cost of living adjustment, Randy and Jake, what does this mean to an overall Social Security system that has already been strained? I think it means that Biden is trying really hard to get Democrats reelected. That's what I think. (laughs) You used to be follow the money. Now, I guess it's follow the votes, right? Yeah, I mean, how is it that we get an 8.7% increase in Social Security because of inflation, yet the cost of health care goes down? Now, he's just playing political games. But all that being said, everybody, I think pretty much everybody knows that the Social Security system is extremely strained already. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's projected to go broke totally in 2034 before this increase. Now, if you think about and if you know anything about numbers... And if I have a long time horizon, having one big anomalous number like this, mm-hmm. where you have an 8.7 in the middle of a bunch of 1% and 2% increases, that 8.7 is sticky and is multiplied by every year after that. So throwing that 8.7 in there is going to put enormous extra strain on the system. So it would not shock me at all in the next six months if we're talking about fixing Social Security because it's about to become an imminent problem. Again, I think that for most people, they don't need to worry about their Social Security going away or anything like that. But if you're my age, you're 35, 40, 45, I think it's very likely that you will see big reductions 
or them kicking the can further down the road as to, as to when you actually get Social Security, what your full retirement age is. You know, so they'll kick it out to where I have to be 80 or something to right. get it. Because the only way to fix that number is to reduce the amount of people getting Social Security. Because simply reducing the benefit or increasing the taxes is not going to be enough to fix the overwhelming problem. So there's definitely some big changes coming up in the next few years. And I want to reiterate something that you said there, Jake, for folks that are my age, that are Randy's age. I mean, really, are we going to see that much of a change in terms of Social Security running out? I don't really think so. But as you said, for people who are your age, there are going to be some fixes. Do you really think Social Security is ever going to go away? I don't think so. What do you think? No, I think that they will continue to pay Social Security benefits. I think, like Jake said, they're just going to be drastically changed. You know, the one thing that they are doing, you know, every year when they set the limits for Social Security, meaning, you know, Jeff, there's a point in time that you make enough money to where you don't have to continue to pay into Social Security. And so that number last year was like 142500 This year it's 160200 mm-hmm. So for those folks that are fortunate enough to have pretty good paying jobs, they're going to continue to help prop up us seniors. So yeah. <laughs> well, there's been talk about them lifting that cap right. totally. Meaning if you make $250 million, you know, you'll be taxed on Social Security all the way to that amount. So that would obviously generate a lot of revenue, but it still wouldn't be enough to plug the holes. To your point, though, Jeff, I don't think people need to be concerned about Social Security going away. In fact, I think what's more likely is that all these whiny babies who don't want to go to work are probably going to get their way at some point and we'll have Mm -hmm. Social Security will morph into a universal basic income system, Hmm. which... Again, I am not a proponent of, I want to make right. that very clear, but I think it's very likely that as machines start to automate jobs more and more, that yeah. there will be a significant portion of the population that will be not skilled enough to do any real work. Yeah. And rather than fix that by educating, mm-hmm. we'll probably just pay them to stay at home. And Randy, Jake, a lot of people don't realize that Social Security is taxed. Has there been any change in the uh, tax rate for Social Security? No, Jeff, there's this thing called provisional income that we look at that tells us how much our social of our social security will get taxed. So we're going to talk about that just briefly. But a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about how social security is taxed. You know, it can be taxed at zero, depending on what your income is. It can be taxed at 50%. In other words, half of what you collect can be taxed, or it could be as much as 85% of what you collect that could be taxed. And so what the government does is they look at, basically when they do provisional income, they look at all the interest income you have coming in, any wages that you have coming in. Potentially then they're going to look at what your social security number is and take half of that to add it in and calculate provisional income to see how much of your Social Security is going to be taxed. All your IRA distributions, unless it's Roth, all that stuff calculates in. Uh, A lot of times people get confused on one thing that's kind of interesting, and you have to think about it for a minute. You've heard of these things called tax-free municipal bonds, right? Yep, yep. So the income off tax-free municipal bonds can be federally and state tax-exempt. However, if you make a capital gain on a municipal bond, guess what? 
it's taxable. And so people sometimes forget about how that works. So a provisional income is one of those things that everybody needs to look at to really understand how Social Security gets taxed. And that municipal bond, by the way, pushes up the tax bracket for the rest of your income. So while it is not taxable, it does push the rest of your income higher and can create a situation where you're still paying more taxes, even though it's supposed to be tax exempt. Personally, I think it's a bunch of crap that Social Security is taxed again at all. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all tax money anyway. Right. You know, so we get taxed on it. You pay the tax and then you get taxed again on it. I feel like there's a law against double taxation somewhere, but uh, apparently the, the government didn't get the memo. And I concur with you completely, Jake, about double taxation there. Let's talk about Medicare and uh, Medigap. A lot of people are being bombarded with those commercials at this time of the year about the Medicare Advantage plans, but there's also something called the Medigap. So first off, uh, Randy or Jake, whichever one of you want to answer this, what is the difference between a Medicare Advantage plan and a Medigap plan? Yeah, that's a good question because people get very confused about that. And quite frankly, you know, here we are. It's our government at work again. So, (laughs) you know, it's easy to get confused, right? Oh, gosh, yes. But the long and the short of it is, you know, the old plan, you know, Medicare Part A and then Medicare Part B is basic Medicare. Mm -hmm. And so Medicare Part A is basically hospitalization and the first couple of blood transfusions and that sort of thing. And then Part B that we pay for out of our Social Security check, if we're drawing Social Security, if you're sick. 65 and older and you're on Medicare and you're not drawing Social Security yet, you get the pleasure of going ahead and paying them quarterly $170.10 a month Mm -hmm. to have Medicare Part B. But what it really amounts to is Part B is the outpatient services stuff. Part A is going to be for the big stuff. Then when you go out and you look at buying a supplement, which is what they called a Medigap or a Medicare supplement plan, Mm -hmm. when you go out and buy one of those, that's where you're going to get a Part D drug card. or you're going to get a one of the lettered plans from B, C, G, E, F, L, M. There's all different types of plans out there. But generally speaking, when you buy a Medigap or a Medicare supplement plan, those two terms are interchangeable. You're going to pay a premium and you're pretty much going to be welcomed anywhere that Medicare is accepted, Mm -hmm. which today, Jeff, really is about everywhere. And you're going to be able to go nationally across around the globe here. You're going to be able to go nationally, not around the globe, but around the states here and anybody that accepts Medicare, you're going to be able to walk in, really not pay any co-pays, go into any hospital that you need to. So when you start looking at the Medicare Advantage plan on the other side of that, the difference basically is a lot of times you're going to be in a network. You're not going to pay any monthly premiums like you typically would for a Medigap or a Medicare supplement plan, which can be as much as, you know, $150, $200 a month on top of the $170.10 that you pay for Part B. You won't pay any premium for the Medigap your advantage plan, but you'll pay co-pays on everything as you go along. So the reason this is kind of important to really distinguish is if we have a person with a lot of health conditions and a lot of challenges that are either aging into Medicare or they have become disabled, many times we're going to say, you know what, we want cost containment. Mm -hmm. So it may be that even though it would be counterintuitive, it may be better for you to buy a supplement and pay a monthly premium to avoid the out-of-pocket expense for co-pays and things versus somebody that's really maybe quite healthy, that exercises, keeps themselves in shape, not taking much medication or any medication. A Medicare Advantage plan where you don't pay any premium and just pay co-pays as you go might be the best option. So it's one of those things that it's kind of a conundrum.
conundrum for people that are really aging in, those people that are just turning 65. They see all these commercials on TV, like mm-hmm. you said, you know, hey, you may be missing out on important benefits, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of thing. I would just tell them that what they need to do really is give us a call here at the office. We can direct them to Tony Gossard, a guy that we refer all of our Medicare and even under 65 health insurance business to. That's what Tony does. He's a specialist in this area. He will boil it down for people, help them to understand what the costs and the and the concerns are based on their particular health situations uh, and what they're trying to accomplish. He'll sit down with them and, and go through that. And of course, right now is open enrollment period, October 15th through December 7. And then there's another little enrollment period coming up after that between January and March. But the, uh, the annual enrollment period is now where people can change their Medicare Advantage plans and their Part D drug cards. Those are the things that are open to change right now. Two other important things I would throw out there is that if you are aging in, you don't have to be underwritten to buy a Medicare supplement plan. Mm -hmm. If you already have an Advantage plan and you are considering going to a supplement plan, you could be underwritten and there could be things excluded if you have health conditions that are chronic. So just be aware of that. And that's why really it's important to sit down with somebody like Tony early on when you're first looking at Medicare and really Really understanding the difference between the Medicare supplement or GAP plan and Medicare Part C, known as the Advantage plan. And again, this conversation illustrates that this can be a little complex, and that is why Tony Gossard is so important there at Floyd Financial Group. If you've got questions about Medicare, Medigap, and uh, the Advantage plan, simply get in touch with Floyd Financial Group, 417-889-7233. Meantime, listening to this program this morning, you're interested in a complimentary, no-cost, no-obligation financial plan with Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group. Call 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at Floyd Financial group.com. Gentlemen, time for a break. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money on this fine Saturday morning right here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk about actually a question we get all the time with pre-retirees. Hey, should I go ahead and pay off my mortgage? And Randy and Jake, you're right. That is one of the most oft-asked questions that we get here at Floyd Financial Group. And it is a fair one to discuss on this program right now. Let's say that you've got $100,000 left on your mortgage. Your house is worth $300,000 and you've got enough money to pay it off. Should you pay off the mortgage? I would think that you've got to consider the interest rate on this or should you keep that mortgage and invest that money elsewhere? I think, Randy, you once said your house is going to appreciate anyway. Can you explain that? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, let's let's talk about a couple of assumptions we're going to make here. Number one, you know, these high interest rates that we're seeing now on mortgages are something we've just really started to see in the last really year. Mm-hmm. And so that being said, looking back over our shoulder at what type of interest rates people are paying on their mortgages, we had people, you know, 18 months ago getting 1.99% 30-year mortgages. Wow. And we were like, wow, is that even possible? You know, but there's a lot of people in the two and certainly the three to three and a half percent mortgage rates on 30 years. 
So here's what I would say, you know, if you're going to take part of your 401k money and once in a while we have somebody that will come in, they say, hey, you know, I took $150,000 out of my 401k combined with the income that I had last year from working before I retired of another 150000 And so I ended up paying 35% more. So if I had to pay off that 150, add 35% back that I got to take out, you know, a couple of hundred thousand to actually make that happen. And I went ahead and paid my house off because that just makes me feel a lot better. So there's two things I would say about that. Number one, if you have a two or 3% mortgage, we can generally always make more money than that by having it invested somewhere, even very conservatively. Now, people would say, well, you know, what about right now? And you know, the times that we're in right now are not normal. You know, we're in one of these cyclical downturns that we know we're going to have from time to time, exacerbated by really interesting policy from the Fed and things during the pandemic. But the, but the long and short of it is your house is going to appreciate whether you own it outright or not. Now, again, in this current situation with Jerome Powell raising interest rates, mm-hmm. home values may go down temporarily, but make no mistake, they will be back up. So in other words, if I have a house that's worth, uh, let's say just to make easy math, I got a house today worth $500,000 and it appreciates at 3% per year, you know, so 500 becomes 515. Whether I own that house outright or not, my house appreciates. What does happen though, when I put all my money in my house and I've paid a 30 or 40% tax burden and I don't have the money to earn for me, I've really created a situation where it's very hard for me to win. So the idea would be to have your portfolio set up to where you have a reasonable amount of risk where you can make a good return, but not so much risk that you're going to be at risk of losing all the money or that you're going to lose your house because you can't make your house payment. So when it comes to planning and really sitting down with your advisor and getting ready to retire, I'm going to tell you that most of the time it does not, if you've got a low mortgage like this, it does not make sense to take retirement assets, especially that have never been taxed, to pay off your house. And then again, like we've talked about, your house is going to appreciate whether you own it outright or not. Your house does not give you any monthly income, but certainly your investments could give you some monthly income. I also think too, Randy, that let's talk about a couple of reasons why you might want to. And you touched on this a little bit, but let's drill down on this a little bit more. There are a couple of reasons why it might make sense for you to pay off the house. Number one, if you're paying 6 or 7% interest on that mortgage, that's high enough where you could entertain looking at it. Mm-hmm. Now, again, paying it with qualified money or IRA money is still, even in that scenario, probably not advised, but it's something we could look at when you come in for your free consultation. However, the biggest reason, and we don't do this very often, but if we were to recommend paying off the house, the only real reason we would do that is if it improves your cash flow situation to the point where it makes it easier for you to live. And Randy touched on this a little bit, but let's drill down on this a little bit more. Let's say you have a $1,000 a month house payment and you owe $50,000 still on your mortgage. Say you're halfway through your mortgage or, or three quarters of the way through your mortgage, but your total income is only $2,500 a month or something mm-hmm. like that. So getting rid of that house payment would improve your situation much, 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 much more 
than the $50,000 in the bank because I can only generate a couple hundred dollars a month income off of $50,000. But if I pay off that house, I, I improve your cash flow $1,000 a month. That's a reason to do it. But again, those situations are pretty few and far between, but it's definitely something we can discuss. One other common misconception that people have is sometimes people want to pay their house off because they're afraid that the government will take it if things get really bad. And again, I'm not one to downplay some of the direness of the situation that we're in. However, I assure you that the government can eminent domain your house oh, yeah. regardless of whether you own it. Right. And so that's one reason that people come in sometimes and say, well, if I own my house, then the government can't take it. That is absolutely false. Mm-hmm. The government can take it anyway. And so there are a few reasons to pay it off early, but don't let that misconception come back to bite you. Right. And we're not saying that that is anything that's on the horizon, the eminent right. domain thing, either. <laughs> just to be clear, yeah. you know, we don't think that's happening, but yeah. you know, we do hear that from people sometimes. But so we, we want to allay their fears a little. But we do have a wide array of people that listen to this show, and we sure. have people that are not super concerned, and we have people that are very concerned about what the future holds. And I'm not saying either one of those parties is, is correct or incorrect. All I'm saying is if that's a reason you're looking to pay off the house, Let's not do that because we don't want to add insult to injury, pay a bunch of taxes, pay off the house, you know, and then not have the money to boot. We just don't want to make that mistake of paying the house off for false reasons. And there are a lot of streets that we've driven down or there are developments uh, that we have here where houses used to be. And that is a place where eminent domain does come into play. The government or the city or the county or the state can take that and they give you what they will determine is fair value for that. But that is not terribly common. We're talking with Randy Jake here, Floyd Financial Group, about whether or not you should pay off your mortgage. And Randy Jake, a lot of people, I think, mistakenly think, well, you know, I get a big tax deduction if I have a mortgage. That's not necessarily true especially if you're later in that mortgage. Yeah, that's really true. You know, and even at current interest rates, you've got to have a pretty good size mortgage to overcome the standard marital deduction of around, you know, if, if you're up at retirement age, around $27,000 a year. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a $250,000 mortgage at 3%, you know, you're only paying $7,500 a year. That's a long ways from that 27000 You know, if you got a million dollar property, you know, and you've got it financed at 3% and you owe a million dollars on it, that's 30000 You might get a little bit of a break there. But overall, you're right, Jeff. It doesn't work, you know, the way it used to since Trump's tax cuts came in and we pushed that standard marital deduction or standard deduction for the individual to that higher level, it often doesn't make as much sense as as people would think, you know, to look at that mortgage as something that's tax deductible. Is this a common quandary that you have among clients who come in that uh, maybe do have mortgages? I mean, do you get this a lot? Should I pay it off or invest? Yeah, we get that question A lot. And again, based on where interest rates have been, looking back over our shoulder and looking then at what source of money, meaning is it just money that's sitting in the bank that's already had taxes paid on it, or is this retirement assets, pre-tax money, that factors in. But again, generally speaking, you've got a, if you've got a really low interest rate, two, two and a half, three, even three and a half percent, it makes more sense to invest that money and have it available than it does, I think, to put it into the house. Because once it goes into the house, yes, it can give you a feeling of security, but it doesn't pay you any money. 
We're talking about whether or not you should pay off your mortgage or invest that money with Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group. I think the takeaway is that it is an individual decision. To help you make that decision, once again, no cost, no obligation. Get in touch with Randy and Jake there at Floyd Financial Group. It will be part of a plan that they're offering complimentary right now for our loyal listeners. Actually, anybody who's listening to this program this morning here on KSGF can take advantage of the opportunity to get that plan. 417-889-7233 right here in Springfield, Missouri. Floyd Financial Group is here to serve your needs. 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. We'll take our final break. Be back with more of our show right here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this final segment, we're going to be talking about how do we manage stress in turbulent times. And oh, I have to chuckle, guys. We have so much fun during the commercial breaks. We were talking about managing stress. The fact that this show for you guys, uh, and especially you, Jake, it's somewhat cathartic. I mean, there's a lot of stress going on in the markets and the economy today. And the opportunity, if you can repeat that, to come on the radio every week and just vent it really is an opportunity for you to get a few things off your chest and reduce stress. It is, Jeff. And I think that what the best part about doing this show mm-hmm. is knowing that there are still sane people in this world <laughs> listening. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you look at the news and you look at some of this, some of the stuff coming out of Washington and the far left crowd and all this kind of stuff, I just look at it and I go, this can't be real, yeah. you know? And so it's good to know that we have some people here living yeah. in the last bastion of sanity that still have their heads screwed on straight and know which way is up and down. Well, that's what we're here for, is to educate, inform, and to let our listeners know that we're just like them, too. We're trying to make some sense of this mess that is the market and is the economy right now. So for those people who are stressed out about the market and the economy, I mean, I personally can't do anything about this. What would be the advice you would give to someone who says, Randy and Jake, what do I do? I can't sleep at night about this. Yeah, so I think the first thing, Jeff, is that you know you need to have a plan and i know we talk about this all the time and it always reverts back to this but you know everything in life is about having a plan right right i mean and people that plan succeed and many times those that don't plan don't you know it's been said many times that will people will spend more time planning a two-week vacation than they will their life mm-hmm. and so it's kind of interesting when we look at that from an e- economic standpoint i think our politicians are exercising that in some cases here <laughs> all right <Yeah>. anybody <laughs> I think anybody listening to this show that runs cattle, right, Right, or any kind of farming operation understands that, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you don't plan and you have a really poor season for hay and things like we've had and you don't plan, guess what? You don't have any food for your mama cows. You have to plan. You, You don't have the luxury of not planning there. But most people, like Randy said, really don't ever think about this stuff. And I think that having that plan is really key. I also think that to your original question, Jeff, that it really depends on where you're at in your life cycle as to what you should do with this craziness in the market right now. If you're 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 
you probably don't need to pay any attention to this at all. You just need to keep funding your 401k, get whatever match is available. And as the market goes down, that means you're just buying shares lower than you would have bought them if the market was still up. There's one guy that I that I like to watch on TV. His name is Josh Brown. He runs a really big family office fund. And basically, uh, one of the things he said that I thought was really smart is he said that why, if you're 30 or 40, are you worried about the market going down? You should be happy because you're buying shares much cheaper than you would have otherwise. He said, the only time you should really want the market to be at a peak is when you're about to retire. Right. And I, and I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. However, a lot of the people listening to this show are getting close to retirement. And that's really where the plan comes in. But, but if you're young, keep funding that 401k. Just keep putting that money in there and you will be glad that you did. Right. Well, I think the takeaway is to actually do something and understand what you can affect and what you cannot. There was a wise man who once said, don't let life happen to you. Make life happen for you. And I think that is very prophetic when it comes to making that comparison to having a financial plan. If you have a plan, you can make your finances, you can make your retirement happen for you instead of happening to you. So, Randy and Jake, what are some of the elements of a plan that you would design for people who are worried that would cause these market downturns in the economy to simply be a minor annoyance and not a life-changing event? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. And it's one that we deal with every day here when people come in and they say, okay, I've worked my 30, 40, 50 years. Randy, here I am, and this is what we've got, and you got to make this work. And so when we sit down with people and we go through our five steps and really learn about them. And the first thing we want to know is what is your risk tolerance, I would say. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about risk versus volatility and what that means and also how the planning process fits into that. So when we look at risk, you know, risk is uh, one of those things that we could say, all right, of course, according to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, being in the market, there's this thing called systematic or systemic risk mm-hmm. that you cannot avoid. However, I would say this. When we look at risk, when do you think Microsoft is going out of business? Um, I don't think, well, I've got yeah, their products right in front week. of me. Probably never. <laughs> yeah. When is uh, UPS, Walmart, Amazon, Cisco Systems, when is Intel, when are all these companies, when are they going to actually go out of business. I and hope the, they don't the go out of is, business. I'm expecting deliveries from UPS yet today. I don't know what I'd do yeah, without UPS and Amazon. They're not going out anytime soon. So when we invest retirees' money, we're not going out looking for the new small company mm-hmm. that is needing capital, that grew during the pandemic when money was free, right. you know, and more than free. But we're looking for solid companies that have great businesses that are going to be there and weather what we call volatility, the ups and downs of the stock market. Risk, on the other hand, is where I have a company that I don't know if they're going to be able to open the doors tomorrow because they haven't made any money yet. Mm-hmm. You know, So we're not going to invest in those sort of things. So risk versus volatility. Risk is, yes, I could lose my money. Volatility is the market's in favor right now. Now we're having a little bit of a downturn, a recovery or a reset, if you will. So when we set that in motion, we say, okay, there's volatility and there's risk. We are going to weigh that out for each individual investor. And then we're going to build a plan along that 
line that has the appropriate stop gaps or stops, if you will, that we can build into the plan that help us to know what our downside risk is going to look like during a market downturn so that we can know and know with confidence that during this downturn, we're not going to lose so much money that we cannot recover on the other side of it. And I think that is really where the confidence comes in once people see how we design these things to where, you know, we have some downside protections in these things and we have some idea of what it's going to look like when markets do cycle and when they we had a recession, we have, you know, a bear market. We're going to be a lot more predictable as to what's going to happen there. And that is the key to de-stressing people in retirement. So to speak, you're really like retirement Sherpas. I mean, you have walked this walk before. You have made this journey before. And with any journey, anything that you do, it's the unknown that is scary. But if you have somebody by your side who has done this before and has done it for many other people successfully, that is really a way to de-stress your retirement. We're talking with Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group, about how to handle the stress of this particular economy and this particular market. We're talking with Randy and Jake here of Floyd Financial Group about taking the stress out of retirement. And again, I think it is the unknown, but really with the plans that you put together, Randy and Jake, I mean, everything is not known, but you pretty much have a handle on how things are going to play out in retirement, don't you? You know, Jeff, I think I'm going to change my official title to Retirement Sherpa. There you go. Really, I like that. I think that's a really great way of looking at it because we're in it with you. Right, right. Um, a Sherpa doesn't tell you how to do it and then leave you and watch you do it. A Sherpa goes with you, goes ahead of you, right? protects you, and carries your stuff for you. Right. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it. And I think that that's what we want to be here. We're, we are not going to set up a plan and then forget about it and say, well, have a nice life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a process, and it's something that, that we monitor and we deal with day in and day out. I think that a lot of people's experience with advisors or with their 401k is very hands-off. You know, if you set up your 401k at 25 and you fund it for 40 years, you may not ever have a conversation with an advisor ever about it until you go to retire. And that's a shocking thing, really, when you think about it, considering how important it is. Now, a lot of people have succeeded in spite of that fact, largely because of the expansion of the U.S. economy over the last 40 years. But we want to be there to guide and to help people. And I think that, you know, that's what we've set ourselves up to do. We want to use only the tools that are in the best interest of our client. And those tools shift and change as environments change. And I think having the experience to know which tools to use when is really how we bring value. Well, most people only retire one time, and it is really comforting to know that you have been through this retirement journey so many times with so many people. And another thing that I want to point out, too, is that each and every client at Floyd Financial Group is just as important as all of the other retirees. You are an individual. You're looking for some help. As Jake said, you're looking for a Sherpa, someone who will walk that walk with you, this important journey. And that's what Floyd Financial Group is all about. No cost, no obligation for your Sherpa plan. And most importantly, there is no judgment. To get yours, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233 to sit down with Randy and Jake right here in good old Springfield, Missouri, and talk about your retirement. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. 
Out of time for this week, gentlemen. I've enjoyed my uh, stay with you this week, and most importantly, my stay with our listeners. For Andy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out. Have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.